session with Dr. Farid Holaku. Good afternoon. Welcome to In Session. I'm your host, Dr. Fadir Tulakwi, and I'll be with you for the next two hours here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in, 310-441-0555. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show or suggest topics or books for the program. And the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Again, our studio number, 310 um, Before I get started, or to start the show, I wanted to wish a very, very happy birthday to a very, very special person in my life and my family's life. Today is my cousin Pega's baby, Colette's first birthday. So she turned one today. She was born last year, November 17th, 2020. And so uh, I can't believe it's been a year that we have had the pleasure of having her in our family. And I was very fortunate this morning. I made sure I could see her. So I got to have a quick little meeting with her to wish her a happy birthday. Obviously, she had no idea <laughs> what was going on. But I, I was telling her mom, my cousin, uh, that I'm sure she's wondering, why is everyone acting a little bit different today? Because I think everyone was just... Uh, wish saying happy birthday or just looking at her different it's just a, a milestone interesting ways that we keep track of things and make some days feel more significant but as is often the case with other people's birthdays even as we get older it's just a time where we um, remember and express our gratitude for that person and so with her there's a lot to be grateful for so happy birthday Colette Amu loves you very much so let's switch gears now to the first topic for today, which is hashtag relationship goals. Um, so if you're on social media, you've probably seen this before. Couples will post a picture or a video or people will post a picture of a couple, um, maybe celebrities or just two random people that are doing something cute or look cute or seem to express something that uh, looks really nice. And so the a ca a hashtag will be sometimes relationship goals, meaning that this is the kind of relationship I would want to be in or we should aspire to or we should want. And uh, I think it's good to think about your relationship, to want to have a certain type of relationship. But unfortunately, this model of looking at either a picture or a 15 second or one minute video and thinking that that's the kind of relationship I want to have is unfortunately not a good standard for us to have for several reasons that I will get into today. So to begin with, um, one aspect of it is that it focuses generally very much on the physical uh, appearance or how things look. So how cute the picture is, how cute the couple look, and how nice they look together. You know, it's mostly about the, the looks and the superficial. Now, when it comes to a romantic relationships, we don't want to go to the other extreme and say appearance doesn't matter at all. But the appearance has to matter for the couple. So they need to be physically, sexually attracted to each other. 
in order to have a good relationship or a part of the foundation of a good romantic relationship. But how they look to others is not something that's going to have an impact or should not have an impact on how happy, healthy, strong the relationship is. So when we focus on taking a cute picture or that that's something we should aspire to, we are missing something important in the relationship that yes, we want to feel that attraction to each other, but it's not about what other people think. It's what you feel in the relationship. And that's the main issue I have with this or the problem I can see when we look at social media and think there's some kind of goal there in what our relationship should be like. The analogy that came to my mind recently is it's like you're looking at a car and it looks really nice and fancy and clean and souped up in all sorts of nice ways. But really what a car needs to be able to do is to run and drive and be comfortable and be good in that way. So when we talk about relationship goals and just see a picture or a quick video, it's like looking at a car and saying that's going to be a good car to get me where I need to go to function well in my life. But all you really know is that it could look good. And so similarly, when we model our relationships or aspire to have a relationship that looks good, we're missing the most important thing, which is how it feels between the two people who are in the relationship. And this is where I really find uh, something troubling that I even can see in people that they're preoccupied with how the relationship is going to appear on social media. How are people going to see them and look at the relationship or will they think they look cute or that that's couple goals and relationship goals and that's something that people will admire. But the whole focus of our relationships needs to be how we feel in that relationship. And of course, this extends to life in general. Unfortunately, what happens with social media is people can be more preoccupied with making sure their life looks good. So life goals that other people will think they're cool, fun, happy, having a good life. And so the focus becomes more how it appears and looks rather than the actual experience, which is really what should all be about. We're trying to look like we're having a good life because we think it's good to live a good life. But unfortunately, as can often be the case, we get more preoccupied with the way it's measured rather than what's being experienced. So make sure your life looks good rather than live a life that feels good. And so if we come back to the relationship domain, we don't know what it's like to be in a relationship with two people and uh, within that relationship for those two people. And I'm not going to name specific couples, but I've seen throughout just life, there's some couples that people say, that's couple goals, I want to be like them. And then we find out they have huge problems and big problems. And so it looked good, but it doesn't mean it actually was good or healthy or was a good relationship. Now, a side note here is that relationships are hard. Breakups are common. Divorce is common. So it's not to say that, oh, see, they weren't that happy because they broke up. Maybe they were happy back then. I'm not saying that they necessarily weren't happy. But my point is that we can't know. And we want to be careful not to judge a relationship really ever, but especially just think we know that it's a good relationship or we see the boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife do something cute or sweet and think, oh, how lucky is that partner because of that moment? Though it could be very nice things they do for each other. First of all, it's being shown on social media. There might be an intention behind it to show the nice thing, but also one nice moment, one nice 
gesture does not make a good relationship. It's just that one moment, one gesture. And so to be with someone, you don't know what that's like. And this also comes up in general, not just with social media, but people will say, oh, look at that person. She's with him or she's with her. And they're so lucky to be with that person. But we don't know what it's like to be with them. Or they break up and people think, oh, gosh, how stupid was this person to break up or end the relationship with the other person when we don't know what it was like to be with them. And you have to really keep that in mind. What you're judging enough of is what it looks like to you that, oh, looks fun or in my imagination where I'm filling in the gaps of what it's like to actually be with that person. It looks like that's what I would want, but it actually isn't necessarily a reflection of what it would actually be like to be with them. And so this also applies to when we're in a relationship and we compare ourselves to other people or other relationships or think about being with other people. So this is another place where I think the relationship goals can create a negative impact is that if you're in your real relationship and you compare it to another relationship where they're just showing you a snapshot of it or a brief video of it and say, oh, why doesn't my partner do this? Why don't we feel that way? You're comparing your real life to some fake life that's photoshopped, edited, curated, and only one small small part of it is there. And so you're going to feel an inadequacy in your relationship, yourself, your partner, that's going to make you feel like something is wrong. But anytime we compare our real thing, our real experience, our real selves with a idealized view of something else, we're always going to feel less than. So I think this could be a danger, too, that people look at their relationship, look at their partner, look at themselves in the relationship, compare it to something on the outside that's a relationship goal and feel like something's wrong with them, something is missing, and either get very upset or down about it, upset with their partner, or makes them feel unsatisfied and want to leave the relationship altogether because they think it's supposed to to look like that and feel like that. But that's just an image. That's just a snapshot a real relationship is about the feeling and the experience in the relationship. And so we take that further. People might think, well, I should be with someone else. And they might even end the relationship thinking, well, if I think of what a relationship goal should be, this doesn't seem to be it because I don't feel like I'm that picture. But you can never feel like something that's just an image. You can never feel like something that's idealized. It's always going to feel like something is lacking. So when we think of real relationship goals, it's not things that can be captured in a picture or a video. It should not be that you're seeking for something that can make a cute picture or video. You should be seeking something that can't be seen. It's how you feel with your partner, the trust that is there between you, the emotional intimacy that is there between the couple. That's what we're trying to create. And yes, sometimes you can see a couple that look like they're emotionally intimate, but that doesn't mean they actually are. You can't really measure it. Actors can meet and and create a movie where it's a love story and make us feel like they're in love with each other, but they're acting because they just have to show it for those few moments in front of the camera on the screen to give us that feeling. But it doesn't mean it's genuinely being in love and that's what we should be seeking. So we have to be very careful about what we compare ourselves to. If it is videos and pictures of other people, we're almost always going to be disappointed. And when you think of your own relationship goals, make sure you're focusing on how it feels to be 
with the person that you're with? How do they make you feel? And real relationship goal moments are going to be things like having uncomfortable conversations about the relationship that don't feel so good. Things that might not look really good in a picture or in a video because you might look upset or you might look sad or you might not look very happy. In order to be in a good relationship, you need to actually experience difficulties and challenges together. The relationship won't grow unless you're having those painful, uncomfortable conversations, but you won't see those posted on Instagram or you won't see a couple post a picture mid fight. They post it smiling, even if they're upset with each other, just to show a certain facade to the rest of the world, to the outside world, to social media. So seek a relationship that feels good, not one that necessarily looks good. Yes, you can have a partner and someone that you're attracted to that looks good to you, but looks good to you so you're attracted to them, not looks good so that other people will think you look good together. So it's just something to think about when you see posts, when you think about putting a post about a relationship. I'm not saying don't do it, but I always ask people to think of their intention. Why am I posting this? Is it genuinely I want to show me and my partner and, and express something to the world, to people around me? Or is it to give a certain facade that we're really happy, I'm so lucky for people to be envious of my relationship, which would be for the wrong reasons. So just wanted to put that out there of something to think about when it comes to your relationships and what we look up to and look for, because what we expect and what we think we should have can often affect how we feel in our relationship. Let's go to our first commercial break, studio number 310-441-0555. We'll be right back. So in this segment, I wanted to introduce a term or concept uh, that came to my mind recently and, and related to some things that are going on, especially now that always existed, but especially with some of the advents of virtual reality, the metaverse and things like that, it came even more to mind. So that term is distant gratification. So you've probably heard of instant gratification which is when we want to just feel something good in the moment. So we do the easier thing, the more pleasurable thing, where sometimes there is a better choice, better in the sense that it can be more in aligned with our values, our long-term goals, uh, for example, exercising versus not exercising, uh, studying versus going out and having fun. So the instant gratification is to quickly do the thing you like, um, delaying gratification means that either you delay that specific pleasure or you do something that's less pleasurable because it's better for you in some way. So uh, a classic study on this is the marshmallow test where you take a young child and they do it with kids of different ages. You show them a marshmallow and you say, look, there's this marshmallow here. I have to go out for a few minutes. But if you don't eat this marshmallow, by the time I come back, I'm going to give you two marshmallows. So it's trying to see, can the child delay gratification to get a bigger reward later, which is something that is a big part of life in general. And you can see all sorts of cute videos of kids of different ages. Um, sometimes they do wait. Sometimes they don't wait. There was a cute one recently. I think it went viral of these two 
I think they were brothers, two young boys, and the parents left. And as soon as they left, they looked at each other and gave a look like, oh, let, let's go for it. And they started having the candy uh, without waiting. And so there's been some research looking at does this relate to future success in life. And I don't want to state it too strongly because I know the original studies, there were some methodological issues that people thought might not make it as um, valid or the conclusions might be less clear. But nonetheless, we can understand there will be some connection between being able to delay gratification things like impulse control, so not just do the thing that in the moment feels good, but delaying gratification and achieving certain goals, especially things like academic goals and also health-wise. There definitely will be a connection there between can you delay gratification? So it's instant gratification versus delayed gratification. Can you can you do that? But so here I'm talking about distant gratification. And so distant might sound like I'm saying like delayed gratification, like something that um, is in the future. But in this sense, what I mean by distant gratification is enjoying things where we have a safe space between ourselves and the thing we are interacting with. So let me give you a few examples of distant gratification. A fantasy is like a distant gratification. You don't actually have to, let's say, interact with someone or experience whatever it is you're doing. You can just imagine. And it's not just sexual fantasies. It could be anything like a daydream about what's happening in your life or what you're doing with your work that you might say, let me uh, you know, imagine my life in a way. And it can feel good. But to me, I'm calling this like a distant gratification because it feels good, but it's distant from actually experiencing the thing, which makes it much safer. Now, in a more real way, but still in this realm of distant gratification is something like a long distant relationship, long distance relationship where the person might be far away. And so because of that, you might not have to face some of the challenges of being with someone face to face in person, spending time together, or then eventually living together, where there's more likelihood of doing things, saying things that bother one another, it's a lot safer from this distance. So it's another form of distant gratification when we um, do that. Now, another realm that we're seeing more of this, and it could relate actually to long distance relationships, is things like virtual reality, online realms and worlds, uh, the metaverse, which is you know, I'll talk a bit about these concepts, but to me, it's still very, very abstract and I don't know much about it, but I'm hearing more and more about it um, and I'm trying to understand it more. And I also want to make it clear when we think of these kinds of things, virtual reality, augmented reality, a metaverse, to me, as always, it's better not to just think of it. Is it of as it is it good or bad? All good, all bad. Like most things, most new technologies, most new advances, mo most new things that are just there, there can be good and bad. It can be used in good and bad ways. And also it can be directed in good and bad ways based on the values that are there. So we see a similar thing with 
social media or phones where sometimes people will just say, oh, phones are so bad or social media is so bad. And definitely we see some negative consequences from these things. We can even see things like addictive type behaviors, people comparing themselves, let's say on social media in negative ways. I just talked about that in the previous segment. Um, getting wasting time procrastinating and, and using social media as a distraction from facing their own lives in various ways so there are definitely negatives that are very real also it's contributed to things like polarization in negative ways and leading to more division in the country and in the world so there are those negatives but there's positives too of connecting people uh, people even getting educated and informed of course that itself is a a, a good and a bad because sometimes there's a lot of misinformation that could be spread more easily but people are learning things connecting with one another um, learning about things in the world that they wouldn't have known about learning about people that they would never be exposed to which can at times create more connection and compassion for people who are different from one another or different on things that are considered significant in society so it there's also good there people staying in touch all those kinds of things so when we look at this future world or the direction the world is going in we don't want to look at it as all good or all bad things like virtual reality even i mentioned this when i discussed um anil seth's book being you um it's being used for even mental health types of treatments for like phobias and other things because it can actually give people some experiences that can create obviously like a real life experience but can help them face a fear in a safe distance so in this way that distance is actually can be good and helpful for allowing someone to face a challenge so it's not going to be all bad but i think there are some concerns and even i think i talked about it even a few years ago when i was seeing more virtual reality out there and headsets and things were becoming more common that it seemed cool and fun uh, but i had a concern that could people get so consumed with this not just consumed but appreciate or like the distraction that it gives them and the sense of avoiding parts of their real life that they might not be happy with that they can go too deep into the virtual world and there's a book and movie called ready player one that i think um, showed this possibility the good and the bad uh, but did a very good job of of showing that and so i think we have to be aware of this possibility for distant gratification when we're looking at jumping into these types of experiences in the world so taking it to an extreme is like imagining someone who because they're not happy in their marriage and with their kids they go into this metaverse this alternate reality for extended periods of time and neglect the real responsibilities so they uh, an escape can be good actually sometimes we might need a little bit of an escape it's not that we should perfectly be in the moment all the time it actually can be nice to unwind for a pocket of time here and there but some people might go too deep into it as we're doing already with other things but it opens up a new way of doing that and they get more enjoyment pleasure from their virtual world and might ignore the the relationships they have and i'm even hesitating to say real relationships because you can't create real but let's say the in real life as far as in-person relationships but especially not just that but especially responsibilities let's say as a partner as a parent and that's something that i have a concern of and so we have to be careful that we don't always let um the instant pleasure drive us so distant gratification is definitely more of a instant gratification 
connection rather than the delayed gratification because you're doing something that feels good and especially because you're avoiding the problems or the issues that might come from genuinely having this. Another area where I see this type of connection is you'll sometimes hear report stories, sometimes out in Japan or sometimes in other countries, and it happens in every country where people are choosing virtual partners like a robot girlfriend or uh, online girlfriend that might even be uh, not real. There was a movie, Her, which took that to an extreme. Uh, I think it was a quite powerful movie. But sometimes people say, well, a robot girlfriend, for example, will never nag me, will never make me feel bad or inadequate or insecure in any kind of way. So that means it's good because if we use our guiding force and our value to avoid discomfort and pain, it seems like that would be a good thing. You're avoiding that. You're avoiding those negative parts or the parts that you think don't feel good. But that's where we have to recognize, well, what is it that we're actually seeking in a relationship? Is it just absence of discomfort and pleasure? Or is it actually a connection which involves overcoming certain things, experiencing the good and the bad, and the possibility of the good and the bad? So sometimes we think, well, you need to have the bad to know what the good feels like. And there's some some truth to that. And actually, the book for this week, which I'll talk about Monday, seems to get into that topic, amongst others. But it's also that in order to really enjoy some things, there has to be the possibility of it to go poorly. And this is actually where fantasies can feel a little bit empty. If you fantasize you're playing a game, you know, I can imagine playing basketball and I'm shooting and it goes in and everything goes great. And that feels good. But because I know... I have to win and I can't lose, it does lose some of its excitement and doesn't feel that good. But if you play an actual game with an actual opponent and it sometimes goes well, sometimes it doesn't, you win some, you lose some, then if you do win, it does feel really good, but you have to open yourself up to the possibility of losing and getting hurt. That's the only way the winning can actually feel really good is that there has to be a risk of losing as well. So in relationships, there's some of the same thing that if, yeah, the the robot is programmed to tell you you're good and wonderful and attractive and whatever you want it to say to you, those things do sound pleasant, but they'll feel pretty empty. And the relationship, of course, will overall feel very empty with this robot girlfriend uh, because you know that it's programmed to say those things. There is no reality there. There is no sense of connection and uh, feeling that something exciting can happen within that. And this reminds me of um, Stephen Mitchell in his book, Can Love Last? It was the first time I got exposed to this idea that fantasies, although they seem so crazy and, you know, let's say even sexual fantasies, people can think of whatever they want, which makes it more exciting than real life sexual experiences. But he was pointing out that actually that's not true because in your fantasy, you have complete control. So it's not that wild and crazy because it's all under your control and you write the whole script. Whereas when you interact with another person, even in a what considered, you know, you'll consider a boring sexual experience, there is so much unpredictable unpredictability and uncertainty that that's actually the more wild and crazy experience. And so similarly, a relationship is the same way because you can't control and you can't exactly predict what your partner is going to do. You have to face something much more real, but it makes it all the more meaningful. So I think that's something we have to be aware of is are we at times searching for distant 
gratifications, meaning that we're a little bit far removed from the risk of getting hurt, the risk where we have to make decisions, we have to experience sometimes unpleasant things because we're choosing comfort over the real life experiences. And so it's possible that even in these metaverses and these virtual reality worlds, we can interact with people. And there is some of that, that you can have good and bad experiences. They can say or respond in certain ways. And so there will be that possibility. I think it's hard to even imagine the potential for these worlds, just like 40 years ago, if someone was telling you about the internet, you would not be able to understand or comprehend it enough to even make decisions or judgments about what's going to happen. So I don't claim to know what's going to happen because so much of it is unknown. But I do hope that some of those values can be embedded or be part of the system too, that we don't just avoid genuine connections, relationships, interactions for some virtual world that's safer and far removed from the genuine connections because we're choosing a distant gratification over a more genuine reality and relationship and, and connection that we can have. So um, I'm actually myself exploring some things in the uh, NFT space. If you're not familiar with it, that kind of makes two of us. I don't know that much about it. I'm learning about it. And I might actually talk about a project that I'm um, getting involved with that actually has a mental health component to it, which is why I was approached to, to join the team. Um, and so what I'm hoping is to have potentially an impact on making part of the values or at least some part of the culture within this space be focused on mental health and to not create a space where people will try to distract themselves from reality, avoid their problems, avoid what they're actually going through, but actually try to connect more with themselves, to go within themselves to understand themselves better. So um, look out for that soon. I might even have one of the artists that uh, is collaborating on the project on the show at some point to talk about his art, but also to talk about this project that I'm excited. Also, uh, very in some ways, um, going into unknown territory in various ways. So it's being being an interesting process for me thus far. But let's go to a commercial break. Our studio number three one zero four four one zero five five five. We'll be right back. back. Uh, let's uh, go to a caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hello. Yes, hi. Thanks Hello. for calling. <laughs> hi. Uh, first of all, I have to say thank you. I'm a big fan of your uh, show and your dad. You guys are so gifted and I really appreciate oh, that. Thank you for your kind thank words. You. We appreciate that. Uh, listen, my 19 years old son uh, suffered from concussion recently. It's about a month. And as a method of healing, he's using cannabis, CBD, which is non-psychoactive. Uh, mm -hmm. And he believes he doesn't get high. He, he doesn't get high with using that. But I'm still very concerned because I believe these are just like 
it's not good for his pain. He should get medicine or he should use other things. And he showed me, uh, he showed me a, a thing from uh, internet, a research from Harvard University, and he said this is completely safe. And I said, okay, we need Dr. Farid's <laughs> opinion on this because okay. I know you, you and your dad has lots of knowledge, and I want you to help me, help me. Well, I appreciate your confidence in me, although it might be a little bit unfounded, especially in this case. I do know about CBD and know about some of these things, and I'll share some of my thoughts with you. But I can't be uh, claim to be an expert on it, especially when you're talking about uh, concussion and recovery from a concussion. That's not something that I'm going to know if it's helpful, harmful, not okay. Uh, in any way. And also with CBD, I do know about it and know from my understanding, it doesn't have the THC, so you don't get high, but it can still have some benefits. People use it to relax and other things. Usually these things sometimes can be overstated too. A, a new medication drug or supplement becomes the hot craze and a lot of people are into it, but there seems to be something there. Now, what I do also want to point out, you know, you said you should take medicine, not this. And there are ways that we think about what is medicine or what's or what's okay and not okay. And sometimes the line is, well, if it's a pharmaceutical medication, it's okay. But if it's not, then that's not okay. And there's some validity to that way of thinking, but it's definitely a black or white type of view. Even, you know, I talked about this on Monday's show that there are some treatments that are considered alternative for depression but it's not alternative because they are unfounded or not good or not uh, helpful it's actually because of things like image and the way they've been portrayed for example ECT electroconvulsive therapy for depression it has a very bad reputation just the name convulsion and sometimes it's called shock therapy there's you know images or the movie one flew over the cuckoo's nest where it was shown in a really horrible way also the treatment has become more humane in the sense of or not even humane might not be the right word but the way they can do it is a lot better than it was before so i want to be aware of not making that distinction that if someone prescribes your son something that's so good and taking a supplement is not good. That's sometimes something in our head. You look at the United States across the world too, but very clearly in the United States, opioids have become this big epidemic that have taken so many lives of individuals and they were very much prescribed by doctors at times. Yes, people sold them and bought them and did things as well, but even at times doctors were prescribing what is very clearly unhealthy amounts of it. So um, that's just a a side note, it doesn't mean necessarily in this case that's going to be the make or break. But just in how you said that, I, I wanted to point out that potential bias of making it very clear that if it's from a, a doctor, even from me, that I, I somehow have the truth about this, but that even a medication, if it's prescribed by a doctor, that's definitely better than something else. I would say it's good for him to consult with a physician about what he's doing. But I don't want you to think that he should get a prescription medication, and that's definitely going to be better than than what he's doing right now. Then, then that's correct. Uh, he wasn't on any medication for concussion, but like 
he was on medication for depression mm-hmm. and he says he's, he doesn't take that anymore, not for depression, for anxiety. And he's not taking that anymore. And he says, this makes me so relaxed, makes me sleep better. And I'm so concerned because if he's using it from like, he's only 19, he's using, I said, what are you going to take when you're four years old? And now he's here. uh, He wants to talk to you. Okay. Yeah, let's have him, you know, I have some, well, you know, the thing of, um, you know, antidepressant medication, they can be very helpful and they've helped millions of people throughout, maybe even probably currently, but especially throughout these past few decades. So it's not to say they're not good and they're, they can't be helpful, but they aren't helpful for a lot of people, even, you know, with depression. So it's not... It an, helped me a lot. I'm on oh, antidepressants. Great. And that's my point is not to yeah, say it doesn't help have, people. Yeah. I'm just saying it might not be right for your son or... There could be right. something better. If it's working for you, that that's wonderful, and I'm happy to hear that. And I don't want you to think because he's trying something now, he definitely has to escalate and take, in your mind, what is something worse down the line. But if he wants to add his perspective, I'd be happy to hear it. Sure. Of course. Thank you, Dr. Fries. Sure. Um, yeah, I was taking, because um, I had a anxiety developing during... Um, like last year and especially during COVID, I had like anxiety developing and um, I tried to see the doctor about it. And then, um, yeah, and then I talked to the doctor and she prescribed me this anti-anxiety medication and she told me to take it for a month and then we'll start to work. But I had taken it for two months and hadn't really seen any change. Now, I know you said it was an anti-anxiety medication, if it was mm-hmm. taking a month, was it an antidepressant, though, that you were prescribed? I'm not sure. It was escitalopram. Escitalopram. Hmm, I'm not sure. Say yeah, that again? Escitalopram. Escitalopram. Okay. Um, I'll probably have to look that up because it's not bringing a bell to me, but okay, go ahead. Yeah. But, um, yeah, and then I had been taking that, and then, um, two mo- like, I've been taking that since... Um, the summertime of this year mm-hmm. or a little bit before and let me stop and you then, there um, if you don't mind for a second yeah i yeah. i guess i didn't know that it, it can it's one form of or the name for lexapro which is, is more yeah, lexapro. yeah and so that is an antidepressant like a common um uh, ssri selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor so yeah very often for anxiety medication uh, anxiety issues an antidepressant is prescribed for long-term use because it helps with anxiety and also anti-anxiety medications themselves like Xanax are not things you want to take every day. They're usually on an as-needed basis. Okay, so you took that yeah. for about a, two months and you felt you don't feel like it made a difference. No, after a month, I didn't feel anything where she said I was supposed to, but I continued taking it mm-hmm. for almost six months. And then um, I got a concussion almost a month ago and then um, when I was in the emergency room, the doctor was like telling me all the things that I couldn't do, and he was like, "Oh, also you can't smoke, you can't smoke cannabis." And then I was like, "Oh, I was like, okay, no problem." And then um, he was like, "But like on the off chance that you know, like try CBD." And then um, I had heard about it before, like I had taken it a couple times before for um, like 
as a muscle relaxant, like after uh, working out or intense sports. Mm -hmm. A couple of my friends had recommended it, and a bunch of like influencers online who work out had uh, recommended it, and I did some research on it. And then I saw its benefits. Like I had used it for after working out, and then um, when I got my concussion, like I was always feeling dizzy and like kind of like vertigo. And then um, when I taken it, I was more relaxed and I didn't feel nauseous, and it like suppressed a bunch of the symptoms of the concussion. And then I found like its other benefits when I researched it more. Like it helped me to go to sleep. And it helped me, like, when I did have anxiety, it stopped my anxiety, like, when I'm doing homework and I'm very anxious or before I have a test or a presentation, I would consume some of the CBD and it would really help me. And then when I came home from university, my parents had seen it and they didn't understand what it was. And no matter how much I tried to explain it to them, my mom was so worried because it's like the stigma of cannabis. When she sees that, that's all she really thinks Mm -hmm. about. Even though I showed her the study from Harvard. Yeah. And uh, yeah, she wanted to talk to you about it to see and get your opinion. Sure. So, yeah, I mean. I have a question. Okay, yeah, go ahead. The, the thing is, I'm, I'm so afraid of the addiction, that if it's uh, addictive. Plus, it, uh, he has uh, focus problem as well. And I'm. The, my biggest fear is if he gets used to doing this for the rest of his life or he, he gets addicted to it. That's the biggest fear Sure. for me. Well, so, you know, one of the things people would say commonly about marijuana in general is that it's not addictive, but that's not really true. Even if chemically it's different than some other substances, it can become very habit-forming. And so that is one thing I would wonder for your son, um, is if he's saying I take it and it helps me with this, it takes me to help you know it's helping me with all these things that can sound good, but then he could feel a dependence, even if it's not chemical, that I needed to do many of the things to function. So that's my concern about um, the way he described it. So it could be good, and I'm not saying he should stop, but I would want him to be aware of how much am I getting dependent on this to do what I want to do in life in general or, you know, how much do I need it? So even when I've worked with clients with marijuana usage, I don't take it as a black and white, you need to stop. What I always ask is, what function does it serve for you in your life? Because if it becomes something that you're very reliant on, that could be an issue where you might actually avoid facing certain things that you need to face, or you might feel like you can't face them without the marijuana, or in this case, the CBD, or it could be something else. It doesn't have to be even marijuana, whatever you're using. We want to be aware of, are we feeling too reliant on something that we then feel like we can't go without it? That's the part that I'm more concerned about. For my understanding, CBD and addiction as a chemical type of addiction, it's not very uh, common. So I, I don't know the details for sure, but I'm not so worried about that. I'm just more worried if your son is like, well, I needed to sleep. I needed to do these things at school, whatever else it might be. And you mentioned focus issues. Now, anxiety can lead to focus issues. So I don't know if it's uh, ADHD right. or if he actually has just the anxiety that makes it hard for him to focus. ADHD. He's diagnosed with ADHD? 
Yes. Is he taking medication for it? Yes. And that is one of the causes of the anxiety. Like one of the um, medications that I take increases my heart rate. Yeah. Which, like causes in term anxiety. And like, especially when I do take that medication, I've found that like, it'll get, I'll get shortness of breath and I'll like, kind of have like a mini panic attack and when i do use a little bit of cbd it calms me down so where i'm more focused on what i'm doing because when i do take the medication and i focus on my schoolwork then when i start to feel anxiety it's hard to focus on the schoolwork because i'm like mm -hmm. panicking a little bit because my heart rate is increased and i yeah. feel dizzy and i get shortness of breath then it's hard to concentrate on school but when i take the cbd with it it's easier because then I don't have to worry about that aspect. I can just focus on school. And like you said, the dependency, mm -hmm. um, like it's always been like between something different, like either melatonin to sleep and like, but I've never had an issue with depending on something. Like it was just a, a fix for the concussion. Like I just use it for the, for the concussion. And then I found like a couple other benefits that I can use it for. Okay. I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't know if it is um, crossing the line of using it too much yet, but from what you're describing, I don't know yet. Um, you know, what you mentioned about the ADHD medication, it's for some people it could be surprising because when we think of ADHD, the second letter is hyperactivity. So we think, well, we need to calm the person down. So you would think that the drug that's prescribed is something that calms you down, but really um, things like Ritalin, Adderall, they're amphetamines, they're a stimulant, but really what it's trying to do is essentially to simplify it. It's much more, I'm sure, complicated than this, but stimulating a part of the brain so that you can focus more, like it keep you on task. But as you're experiencing, it is an amphetamine, so it can it's a stimulant to the body so people can have heart palpitations or have those experiences, which then if you have that, it's counterproductive because now you can't focus because those symptoms are going to make it so that you can't study your focus because now you're feeling anxious and preoccupied with those things. I would suggest talking to your psychiatrist about those side effects you're having of your heart racing and the anxiety, because in a way we don't want it to be like, well, I take this medication and it causes this. So I take this other medication to balance the effects of that one, because then it could start to become like a, a domino effect where then there's something to help with this and that to try to balance everything. But that's not the kind of balance we're probably going to want to create. Mm -hmm. So have you talked to your psychiatrist about the effects of the ADHD Actually, medication? We spoke with her and she said, no, she said, don't use it. She said, Do don't use what the CBD. Uh, actually not CBD, uh, but she was against all the cannabis. Okay. And she said it brings the, uh, addiction and the other question that i have do you believe in neurofeedback well i mean believe sounds like it's like a religious type of a a thing i mean it can be definitely helpful for for people with, with certain issues adhd anxiety mm -hmm. it can be helpful um i can't say it will be definitely helpful for for your son but i do want to go back to the medication and you know the psychiatrist um i, I mean I know it seems like you're saying she said don't take those things, which you wanted to make sure you said out loud because you agree with her on that or you want that to be the line that you keep with your son, that he doesn't take um, the cannabis or cannabis-like 
products or anything that comes from it. But what about the issue of it causing him anxiety? And maybe your son could speak on that. Did did he talk to her about that? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like, I have tried to talk to her about it, but, like, honestly, like, she kind of just tries to enforce more, like, medicine-based treatments, just like what my mom, like, believes in, like, more like, well, we can try a different anti-anxiety or lower the dosage of the Vyvanse that I take for the ADHD or try this instead of, like, complete, well, I've found that, like, even I sometimes don't need Vyvanse, and instead I just use CBD and I'm actually focused. But instead, whenever I've tried to talk to the psychiatrist, she says, avoid cannabis completely. And, like, I haven't talked to her as much about the CBD because it's very new, but um, I, I know where she stands on it, and I doubt that she would be open to it or would think that it was a good idea for me because she more believes, like, just like my mom, that medicine is the best way. Yeah. Well, I mean, of course, to some degree, you know, it's like... Um a surgeon will, will see surgery as the best option more often than not. But it doesn't mean what you're saying is not right. I obviously can't speak on that. Yeah. But yeah. this, the problem is it's, it's, you know, you're creating a situation where you're keeping things from her because you think you already know what she will say, and maybe you're even right. But then that's going to interfere with the kind of treatment she can provide you or how well she can help you, you know. So um, we have to somehow figure something out here. Not saying you need to switch psychiatrists, but you have to at least switch the relationship where you are being open and can say everything and figure out what to do. And maybe she's not the right fit for you. That's that is a question that can be looked at. Now, I'm looking at the time. We're we're at the end of a a segment here. We have to go to commercial break. But I don't want us to end kind of like here in the middle of uh, of talking about some things, because maybe we can explore not just about this, but some things about what's going on between Um, you and your Mm -hmm. mom. So I'm going to put you on hold and let's talk after the break, okay? Okay, thank you. Sure. All right, we'll be right back. Welcome back. Before the break, I was with some callers. Let's go back to them now. You still there? Yes, I am. And your son is still there too? Yes. Okay, good. So I I did want to, you know, some thoughts during the commercial break and I also looked up... um, some of what your son was was talking about to educate myself as well uh you know and i did say actually some reports about cbd for post-concussion some of the symptoms associated with it from what seemed to be reputable sources again this was a very quick search so i don't want to say this is something i can clearly endorse but um it seems like what he's saying there is some validity to it as I said, my concern is the way he was saying it's helpful for this, it's helpful for that, so it could turn to something, or, or it could become something he turns to for a lot of things. So my concern is more that. And he's right, probably the fact that when you hear CBD, you think marijuana, and you think of marijuana, it brings up a bunch of things for you. Um, but, you know, it's something to keep in mind when we go to the doctor, they can prescribe a painkiller for you, and a painkiller is coming from or a lot of times at least if it's synthetic even but really the basis is something like the opium from poppy plants it's really the same thing essentially so we sometimes think of something as because it's from a, a doctor and it's in a, a pill bottle it's somehow totally good and okay but it's not that black and white of a, a distinction so 
Um, I would hope, as I mentioned, that he can create a relationship with his psychiatrist where he can be completely transparent with her so that she can actually help him even um, in quickly looking up things. On CBD, it can change the, the thickness or thinness of blood in ways that might affect the metabolizing of uh, medication. So if he's taking other things and taking the CBD, I don't know if there's any interaction effects at all. Maybe there's none, but there, there could be a possibility. So um, we need him to be able to be open with his psychiatrist in order for that person to help him as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I completely understand what you mean. Yeah, I, I do have to like update her on this. Yeah. And definitely talk to her about it. But um, for the most part, like, research the medication that I'm on and research CBD. And CBD really only has an effect with, like, blood thinners mm-hmm. mainly. And I'm not taking any of those. So I don't think it will have any effect. And another thing that my mom really fears is, and I don't understand what she means by it, but she keeps saying she's afraid I'll become numb and I'll stop caring and, like, I'll just become like lazy, which is something that would happen to somebody who uses cannabis, THC. Mm-hmm. And I, I did used to use it before in earlier grades, and I was like that before, but now clearly it's different, and she's afraid that it will be like that again. But no matter how much I reiterate to her that this is not THC, this is CBD, she doesn't understand it. And like, I think she yeah. needs to hear from you. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. I think, could I, if I can just interject here, it seems like you both were hoping I would, um, uh, you know, it, share, say something that would prove your point right and, and let the other person know something. So I'm not going to, you know, try to be a talking point for either of you. I can understand it seems like there is definitely disagreement and you both have strong opinions. And so I the desire is there. But I, I, I guess both of you are hoping that I would... Um, say something today that would that would promote your cause in some way. So, uh, you know, it does seem like I was going to say an association she seems to have with marijuana is negative in general, but it seems like it's even more specific to you that you are saying that you think marijuana did have a negative impact on you in some point in your life. Mm-hmm. And so it's bringing up these fears of like, uh-oh, we're going down that road again. So you might say, oh, it's a different mm-hmm. road, but to her... Well, it maybe is a different road, but to the, to the same destination, right? So you're taking the, mm-hmm. the surface streets instead of the freeways, but she's still worried about where you're going to end up. And so that's freaking mm-hmm. her out, um, that it's going to turn you lazy, apathetic, which, and sometimes marijuana can have that effect, but it could be other things going on as well. But anyway, it seems like there's definitely a history here, and she's very mm-hmm. worried about you self-medicating. Mm-hmm. And it seems like, you know, you're saying I'm looking into it, but to her, it seems like it's all like scary that you're going back down that same route. Mm-hmm. So we have to somehow reconcile that. And that's another reason why I think talking to the doctor could make it better. Now you're saying you think she or- you already know what she's going to say, which might be mm-hmm. aligned with your mom's thinking. Um, but mm-hmm. if you're, you know, I know you were hoping I would vouch for it, but I want to be careful about not making an endorsement for something like that. I don't think it's as dangerous as your mom thinks it is. Okay. But... Um, yeah. The, um, he explained it to me, and he read the research from Harvard University, and I said, okay. But the thing is, I, I asked him to do combination of things to calm him down, like yoga, exercise, or eat healthy. 
because all those can help because now he's gaining weight too. I'm not worried about that because he's very careful. He he cares a lot for his appearance, but like yoga or like something meditating because he used to do meditation a lot, but he's not doing anything now. That's, I thought the combination of these can help him. It, it probably can. And um, I would want him to look at those other options too, not because you're suggesting them, but for himself. Because as I said, and, and I know I think he's hearing me, so I did have this concern that it seemed like the CBD was like this panacea, like this you know magic pill that's going to help in so many ways. Um, and I wouldn't want you to feel like you can lean on it too hard and would want you to explore these mm-hmm. things, not just the ones your mom is mentioning, but those are actually all good, but ones that you want to try to not think that mm-hmm. this is what's going to fix my anxiety. Um, yeah. Because anytime we turn to something in that way, we are creating a possibility it for bad, yeah. an addiction, even in the mm-hmm. not chemical sense, but that you think, okay, I can't sleep. I don't want you to think you can't sleep without it or I can't yeah. do a class presentation no, no, without it. No, it's not it. like that at all. Okay. It's not like that at all, but that's what she's worried about. She thinks that, like, for example, um, she like I had it in a bag in my room mm-hmm. and she took it from my room and we got into this whole argument and caused me so much stress and I'm like okay well like now that you've literally put me through all this stress like I need to I need to use it I need to relax but and she just sees it as addiction and she's like mm-hmm. you need to have it but I'm like I wouldn't have <laughs> the need for it if you didn't just cause this stress like like how you said the thing about Xanax, you use it as needed and not like regularly. Like I don't use it all the time to sleep. For example, if I've had like a really restless night and I and I, it's like still like 3 a.m. or something and I still can't sleep, then I'll use a little bit and it'll help me relax and fall asleep. Mm-hmm. For example, if I'll be nervous for something the next day, then I'll use it. Well, I mean, yeah, so this is where we are. It is, we're getting into blurry, you know, territory, which is why I think these things are hard to say, take it, don't take it, uh, or I can give you a prescription of sorts. Because, you know, so when we're really not feeling good, sometimes it can help us to take something. However, to me, one of the biggest signs of mental health is our ability to tolerate negative feelings. Meaning that mm-hmm. when something uncomfortable happens, do I quickly try to get rid of it, quickly try to fix it, take something, do something? And a lot of people do that, but mm-hmm. it's very unhealthy because it usually means yeah, yeah. we avoid actually facing some real things. And also we can create another path pathology that we're now addicted to something else. So I, I don't know if that's how it is for you or, well, taking a step back, mm-hmm. if you can be that way in general, someone that mm-hmm. can't tolerate those feelings as much and turns to something. Um, that's mm-hmm. a bigger picture kind of thing I'd want you to think about I- when it comes to yourself of, okay, let's say you and your mom have a really bad talk and the CBD mm-hmm. would make you feel better, but maybe mm-hmm. not taking it and just working through it yourself of getting through that negative feeling. And and it's a, a, a judgment call because I don't know, maybe you are so overwhelmed and feeling so bad, you need something in that moment to, to handle it, but mm-hmm. maybe not. So that's my concern yeah. for you. It's less about, again, CBD, good, bad you know, all or nothing, but more, mm-hmm. I, I, you know, some of how, what you told me had no, the no, flavor of going into mm-hmm. using it just because, well, I'm not feeling great, so I should take it. Or my mom, you know, pissed me off, so let me go take it. And and then that might even be a double. You're like, well, I'm mad at her and I know she doesn't like it, so you might double want to take it as kind of like a, a way of, like, you know, um, doing something Perfect. she doesn't like, you know. So I don't 
I, that's my concern yeah. more than you should never take it is that something I want you to be mindful of, uh, which is just, mm -hmm. am I tolerating the negative things uh, 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 better or can I tolerate yeah. them better than I am right now? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like, definitely I agree with that. Like, like I said before at the beginning of the call, the first time I ever experienced like a panic attack was, um, grade 11 and i'm now in the first year of university and before when i first the first day i had my panic attack i couldn't sleep i literally thought i had to go to the hospital yeah and i didn't understand and from there i've come so far and before the first week that i had the panic attack i was afraid to sleep i couldn't sleep mm. and just the thought of going to bed was scary because I just didn't know why that was happening to me. And every time yeah. I tried to close my eyes and go to bed, I would get shortness of breath and I would get so scared. And I had come such a long way from learning myself using breathing techniques and using multiple techniques on the internet, trying to find what was causing it and calming myself down. And I have been through all these other solutions. I've done meditation. And she says, another, my mom suggests another thing to do is yoga. But that's just not my thing. Like, I don't have a good back. I can't do yoga. It's very uncomfortable for me. But I have come, it's like a year in the making of doing these things and like trying to learn about my own anxiety and like struggling with it and having dealt with the pain and now trying to find ways. And it's gotten so much better than before. Like I remember when I first started to happen, I had a presentation. I was literally sweating in the middle of class because I had to go next. Mm. I couldn't breathe. I started coughing and my throat was hurting and I thought I had COVID for a second but I just realized that I was just panicking and as soon as I left the classroom I felt better and from there now I've come so far that mm -hmm. when I'll have a presentation uh, just have a small feeling in my stomach as opposed to completely like hyperventilating like yeah. how I did before and this was a solo journey I didn't really tell anybody about it I kind of just dealt with it on my own which is why my mom doesn't see this whole side and I've tried to tell her about it but she doesn't really understand because she wasn't there to see it all and mm. she just feels like as if the first thing has happened and i'm running right to cbd but yeah. it's really almost like a not last resort but it's kind of like a smoothing over the pain it's like a band-aid for a wound that has almost fully healed well, let me share a few a few thoughts that came up as you were um talking first of all yeah it does seem like you mm -hmm have experienced pretty significant anxiety. Panic attacks mm -hmm. are just brutal things to experience, very scary. It's mm -hmm. a very common cause, mm -hmm. probably one of the most common causes for people who are young to go to the emergency room because they think it's a heart attack or they think they're mm -hmm. gonna die. Um, so, and it could feel out of the blue, so which is why, like you were saying, there could be this secondary anxiety of, oh, when is it gonna come again? What if I sleep and it happens? Mm -hmm. Or it, it could be pretty terrifying. So. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I'm glad that that journey has been good and you are feeling better. And it's still it's going to be one of your journeys of life, it seems like. So anxiety mm -hmm. probably isn't going to ever not be a, some part of your life. Doesn't mean it has to be debilitating. Doesn't mean it have to, has to be really bad. Mm -hmm. But it'll probably will be yeah. there, something to be aware of. Um, you know, not that you have to do yoga, but, you know, the, the back thing, we're not expecting you to become yoga champion of the world. So I don't know what they even call that. But so if, you know, it's just about doing it as an exercise could be helpful, but it's not one size fits all that everyone has to do yoga. There could be exercise or other things, um, other forms of exercise that can be helpful that you actually enjoy that might benefit you as well. 
I would consider uh, therapy, going to regular therapy to talk about things, especially finding a therapist that specializes in anxiety who can help you in that way as well. Um, to you know the tools to deal with the feelings are there any phobias or other things that can be worked through um, because that's another non-substance way and the good thing is when you do it that way you also it's not just going to help with anxiety it might help you grow in other ways as well have you gone to therapy before um like not really i've just talked with uh oh no actually yeah i have i have um yeah i've gone a, a bunch of times and um, I've spoken with them, and I've found, like, what they've said to be mildly helpful. Okay. And honestly, the best advice that I've ever gotten, and my mom never accepts this, but one time, me and my friend, um, we were just walking around this lake, and we were just talking about like, how we both have, like, this anxiety, and we just sat down on this log, and we were just talking about why it happened, and we were, like just trying to go into depth of why it happened specifically for me and through a 35 minute conversation or something like that I really found the root of what caused all my anxiety in the first place and when I tried to tell my mom like this amazing revelation that I had had she didn't accept it because she's like what does your friend know what do you know mm -hmm. you have to go see a doctor but like I realized the reason for my anxiety especially at that time when it first happened was because um one of my friend's lungs had collapsed, and at the time I was um, I was like smoking cannabis, and I was high, and I was trying to go to bed. And when mm. I saw that, I had gotten scared because I had gotten a little feeling of anxiety. And then I saw my lungs were collapsing, mm -hmm. and that's why I had the fear and the anxiety. And when I got shortness of breath, I thought that like something was happening to my lungs. And through a deep conversation with my friend, I found out that that was the reason why my anxiety started and ever since like I came to that realization my anxiety and everything has been so much less it's gone from maybe like an 8 or a 9 to like a 4 it's gone down significantly and when I tried to tell my mom that that was my friend learned so much about himself like experimenting with drugs different types of drugs and she just dismisses the whole thing because yeah. she's like oh he's just a kid he doesn't know and well, uh, you know, let me share a few thoughts with you on that. One is the chances that you tell your mom um, exploring drugs and helps me explore myself and she's going to be on board is probably pretty low, you know, no, yeah. no matter what. So I understand you wanted mm -hmm. to share it with her, but I can't imagine she's like, great, try try a bunch of other things and let's see what you learn about yourself. Um, mm -hmm. You know, from everything has its place and its benefits and, you know, I don't want to say necessarily even cons, but there are ways that it could be beneficial. Therapy can mm -hmm. be very beneficial, but there's also ways that a friend could be beneficial and that a therapist cannot. It's a different type of relationship. So it's not either or that, mm -hmm. well, you can talk to your friends, you don't need a therapist. And it doesn't mean, well, if it's not a therapist, your friends can't tell you anything meaningful or have a big impact on your mental health or dealing with anxiety. So it seems like this friend that was very important and helped you go deeper into yourself. And that's kind of what you do in therapy, but it was with a friend that can be very meaningful. So I wouldn't take that away, but I also wouldn't take that to mean therapy would not help you. And just from your reaction to me asking if you've been to therapy, thinking no, and then remembering it tells me they weren't very meaningful experiences if mm -hmm. that's how it has been. But I think it's something to consider. Now, I, you know, we have been talking for a bit, but I still actually, there's one thing 
it, first of all, wrapping up some of these last points, but also mm-hmm. this hiding your feelings from your, your mom or your parents. Now, it doesn't mean you have to be perfectly transparent, but there's something that I think might be a critical part of your relationship together that's relevant to this hiding your feelings. Like you said, I went through it alone. So after the break, I'm going to want to explore that a bit with you you and your mom, okay? Mm-hmm. All right. Okay? Yeah. All right. I'm going to put you back on hold, talk to you guys in a few minutes, okay? Sure, thank you. All mm-hmm. right. We'll be right mm-hmm. back. Welcome back. Let's go back to our callers. Are you still there? Yes, we are. Okay. So, uh, you know, a bunch of things have come up. Obviously, we've had some time together, but as I mentioned before the break something struck me in what your son had said that he was going through all this but um, didn't share it with you or was keeping it to himself and there could be lots of reasons for that but I I had a concern about how comfortable he can be sharing things uh, with you and I don't know if there's another parent involved um, I'm sorry, I have to disturb you. Uh, he, he told me that he had anxiety okay. he told me when he started I knew Okay. Like she didn't really understand it fully, and like I wasn't able to go into detail fully because every time I told her about it, she would suggest her own way no, of the, doing it. The doctor, she would be like, "No, I, no, this won't happen to you if you meditate or if you do yoga." No, no, no. Happen. I was begging him to go to see the doctor, and I got an mm-hmm. appointment for, especially for this problem. I got an appointment with our doctor, and. Uh, the doctor said it's back of your brain and he, she said something about it and I asked the doctor to keep seeing her until his problem gets solved yeah. and she even offered him to see him online talk to him online and he said I'm fine okay now let me you know in something in this the theme now maybe he told you about the anxiety but he's saying you, he doesn't think you got it maybe that's the the issue is that even and I'm feeling it too like when he tells you he's going through something you go very quickly into the problem-solving mode and you're not really hearing him in what's going on so you know he wants you to un- for you to understand his anxiety you're gonna have to listen a- for a long time before you suggest something to do so Okay, what, how, mm. how long has it been going on? What's happened? Oh, tell me more. What does it feel like? Uh, and you're coming from a good place, which is to try to help him. So you're hearing he's in pain. You want to help the pain. But I want you to get that there's also something that could be missing in his connection and communication with you uh, and giving him that space also. This actually goes back to what I was saying because I felt something in this realm of not tolerating the negative types of feelings. So you know you hear he's not feeling good okay let's fix it let's find the doctor that fixes that thing um which is not bad to do that eventually but there's first the part of trying to make sure you show him you care and understand him and want to know his story as far as or his experience as far as what he's going through uh that i think will be helpful because i also wonder if he's also learned to try to do that too it's like well i'm not feeling good let me take the cbd that's like this home doctor that is taking away my bad feeling and that's a good thing because that's not always the the best thing sometimes it's just oh you feel bad you feel bad maybe that's okay or uh the solutions might not be better than the problem so let's just keep it as is mm-hmm. i completely understand with you i come like thank you you couldn't have not said it better 
And she always goes to like a solving. She's like, oh, let's help cure your anxiety. And like you said before, anxiety isn't something that's cured. It stays with you for the rest of your life. And for some people, it's just a bigger deal. And mm-hmm. for some, it isn't. Like I have friends who feel it too, but they don't have panic attacks. And when I was telling her about it, I wasn't saying, hey, mom, I have this problem. Can you help me? I was telling her, mom, I have this problem, and now I've almost, like, I'm going through the solution. Like, look how far I've come. But what she thought in her head was, okay, I need to help you. You need to go to the doctor. But I wasn't asking for help. I was just asking. I I wasn't even asking. I was just trying to tell her yeah see what i've done and for her to see how far i've come and even with the cbd i wasn't telling her hey like i have a concussion i need help and what she was like when i told her i have a concussion i was using cbd she's like no not cbd we'll go to the doctor and they'll give you medicine and i wasn't saying like i need help i was just telling her look at this new form of treatment that i found just like how i was telling her with the anxiety like i had gone through it myself i would go and i would just be in like nature i would just go sit around in nature and just either be with friends and talk with friends or i'd be alone and just try to deal with it myself like just how you said sometimes you feel bad you feel bad you got to tough it out and mm-hmm. that's how you learn to be strong yeah and and not tough and by tough it out i don't necessarily mean like oh it's okay, like just feel bad but that necessarily trying to change it might not be the right thing or we have to look at what the what paths we're taking to make things better and going into nature actually is a great thing for just overall physical and mental health but especially with anxiety there can be very uh, a calming experience so that's great if you do that and with friends Mm -hmm. it could enhance that by feeling even more connected so that that's great and no one thing is going to be a a complete solution as you said you're and i mentioned before about the anxiety first of all it's a human experience everyone at some point uh, experiences anxiety so in some ways it's actually healthy we need to have some of it uh, but for some people it can get to a point where it really causes a lot of distress and interferes with their life life in ways that we want to do something about it but this issue because it's going to make it harder I was also just picturing you as a child I don't know uh, I, I think your mom she said so many nice things to me at the beginning she might want to take them back but I'm wondering if when you opened up to her how you would be able to share your feelings with her if her response would quickly go into the problem-solving mode and it could have encouraged you to not share your feelings. It might not be the case. I'm doing a lot of speculation there. But I'm wondering if that dynamic was there even from a younger age of mm-hmm. sharing things with No, that's with exactly her. right. That's okay. exactly right. Okay. Is she, is, is she um, rolling her eyes at me yet or no? What, what is her current reaction? <laughs> no, no, no. I was actually... <laughs> I was actually going to tell you that the bunch of things makes him more anxious and makes him more and and, and bring more anxiety. Mm-hmm. He's like glued to his phone all the time. Like mm-hmm. I keep telling him, I want him to, uh, because I experience anxiety too. And as a matter of fact, I had panic attack mm-hmm. last December. And and I keep he, he tells me that was in panic attack. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> well, so it seems like you both you, you both are pretty good at invalidating the other one's feelings. Like you know what you're going through exactly. wasn't that bad. Yeah, so hopefully That's you both can go the other way and try to uh, actually empathize with each other more. Now maybe he meant oh you know you don't think I went what you went through wasn't as bad as what I went through because you didn't think what I went through was that bad. But nonetheless, it doesn't feel good when we say we went through something and someone says. No, you didn't. So, um, but anyway, you're talking about your own anxiety. 
Right. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, so, you know, but, you know, and I'm sure you've gone through, and that's probably why, you know, usually when we problem solve, as I said, you're coming from a good place. You see your son is hurting, you want to help him. So I get where you're coming from. And if you have your own anxiety, then usually that can push us into a more controlling mode. We want to control mm-hmm. the situation. And there does seem mm-hmm. to be some of that. Now, your son is now 19, and especially as he's getting older, but even before, it seems like he's brought up a few instances where he said, I'm going to try this. And you said, no, you have to do it this way. This is how you're going to get help. It has to be in the way that you think is right, which doesn't mean they're bad ways, but it does sound like there's this way that you're imposing your version of what his path to healing has to look like more than hearing what he's saying works for him. Right. But uh, listen, the reason he told me the conversation between him and his friend, but that friend actually offered him, not that he offered him, but he brought another subject about uh, drugs that made me, like I was panicked when he talked to me about that type of drug. And I was so scared that I said, listen, we need to talk to a specialist. Not that young kids, we need to talk to someone who has a great education mm-hmm. and great experience. We need to talk to those people. And the reason I called you, because you were born there, you raised in U.S., and like you went to university, and you have all this experience. And he can get it from you. He can understand, like, uh, he listened to you better than the doctor who mm-hmm. actually... Her son has ADHD as well. He's in. Uh, he's getting his PhD uh, in physics without any medication. Mm-hmm. He's not on any medication. He's having hard time, but he's doing all these things. And but he wasn't listening to that doctor because she's older, and that's why I said let's talk to Doctor Farid yeah. and you hear uh, his opinion. And you know, I really appreciate. Sure, I'm, I'm glad. Yeah, no, thank you. And and I, uh, you know, I'm glad you are trying to figure things out. I will also add, you know, a doctor he sees regularly is going to be different than me, who's just quickly hearing aspects of the story. So I wouldn't take. Uh, that's why I was saying I'm not going to give a determination or a prescription of sorts mm-hmm. of do this or don't do that because that probably wouldn't be right. What I do think is important is that, especially with a therapist, but also a psychiatrist we need there to be a good match where he feels like, you know, she gets him, um, you know, they're at least aligned. It doesn't mean that they're always going to say what he wants to hear. It shouldn't be that way. But that's important because it seems like he sees her in some ways as an extension of you. And so he's not taking it as seriously as I would want him to in the sense of telling everything to the psychiatrist, being very, very transparent, exploring things with them and then coming to a treatment plan together. Um, and that's why I'm saying there's some of that same dynamic of hiding that I think he has with you of sometimes not sharing things with you because he thinks he right. knows your reaction or he knows what you're going to say, so it's safer for him not to or he feels like it's safer. And so he's having some True. of those same that's dynamics with this psychiatrist now, and that's not going to be healthy. So uh, as I said, one... Sorry, the, before yes. I forget, the shoot, like that doctor, I believe on her... She's very experienced, and she's very. She has all the knowledge and experience and everything. But do you recommend him to see the same doctor, or maybe he see a man 
like male doctor. Well, you know, but you it's, it's, it's it's up to him. Um, and, you know, the psychiatrist, I'm, like I said, it's not about the psychiatrist being good or bad. I think I'm a good right. therapist, but there's some people that won't feel comfortable or feel like I'm a match, and they shouldn't see me. Right. They should. We should find them someone who they feel comfortable and feel like it's a match. So it's not about good or bad. It's about a match and a fit and a comfort with that person. So uh, I wouldn't ask me, I would ask him. I know some people have opinions on that. Some people, they don't care if it's male or female. Some people really do. Some people mm -hmm. care that, let's say if they're Persian, that the person is Persian. Some people, they might be Persian and want someone not Persian because they feel like they might right. judge them in a certain way or whatever it might be. So I, I would ask mm -hmm. your son who uh, he feels comfortable with. And then even it's not just, well, mm -hmm. let's say he says male, it doesn't mean any male. He can go see a therapist and not feel comfortable with them and then he he should find someone else. I would recommend looking at the psychiatrist. He has to really ask himself, can I have a open and a completely open and honest relationship with her? If so, mm -hmm. continue. If not, that's worth looking at finding someone else. And I would recommend uh, him seeking out therapy on a regular basis. And again, it has to be someone he feels uh, good about. Okay, perfect. That's what I thought. I thought he needs for the anxiety. He needs to see at least once or twice a month. He needs to see someone. Now, Thank now that being so said, much, I, uh, you know, even I want you to be aware. Let's say we finish this conversation. He says, "I don't want him to see. I don't want to see a therapist. I don't want you to keep forcing him." This is also part of this issue of we have to let him figure sure. his path out too. So I made my recommendations. Uh, about some things. No, the, the good thing he's very open to these things. Okay. He like it, uh, his friend is outside from an hour ago, but I they have to leave the town uh, to go to university. But for but he waited for me. He asked his friend to wait. That I <laughs> yeah. really appreciate. That. I know this. Yeah, and this conversation went longer than expected. I think I heard you at the end of one of the. You, you were asking him if he could wait longer when I said, "Do you want to talk yeah. after the break?" <laughs> I think we picked up some of that, which is fine. But so I'm glad he stayed, and I appreciate that. And the last thing I'll say is, looking at your relationship together, and especially mom to you, of looking at, am I giving him? the comfort and space to share things with me, which means when he tells me, my mind is going to quickly go to fix it mode. What's the solution? Who's the doctor that's going to help? But see if I can, you can turn it to try to understand him or let him tell you about it more and be focused on the understanding before the fixing. Right. Okay. But that's something, a bigger thing for both of you to think about. How can we improve that relationship? Because mm -hmm. as he feels more comfortable sharing with you, in a way, I mean, it's from childhood, but still, it could affect how he feels with himself of tolerating those those negative feelings that it's okay that I don't feel good. That's fine. Mm -hmm. uh, not that I'm going to ignore it. I'm actually going to face it and realize it's nothing to be afraid of. And it's okay if it stays for a while. But I, I enjoyed talking to you both and appreciate you. the conversation. You. Wish you both Thank the best. Thank you so much. Have All a right. great afternoon. Thank you. Take care. Thank All right. Take care. Bye-bye. All right. Let's go into our last commercial break. We'll be right back. Welcome back. So in that previous call, uh, it was actually nice. I oftentimes only get to hear one side of the discussion or conversation. Got to hear both from the mother and son. And wanted to conclude the show with some themes that came up, especially at the end of that call, because it's a very common experience we have, whether it's in all relationships. We hear it a lot with partners in a romantic relationship, but also with kids and their parents, family members, friends, that when someone shares something they're going through with us, 
we often very quickly go into problem solving and how do we fix what's going on. And so this overall is coming from a good place. Someone says they are not feeling good about something, hurt in some way, worried about something. And we're trying to alleviate that pain that they are going through, that discomfort that they're going through. We're trying to fix it. So there isn't uh, something bad about that necessarily. But what can be missing is that people generally want to feel understood more than anything, but also people want to feel understood to really feel that you can help them with their problem. Because unless you really understand what's going on, you, you really can't help someone. And also until you understand what that person themselves has tried, you might be, uh, you know, make them feel like you don't know their struggle, what they've gone through, and you're just butting into their situation. So if someone says, oh, I've been feeling kind of sick, like, oh, you need to do this. Well, what if they've already tried that a few times and it didn't help? It doesn't feel very good that you're just jumping in and telling them what to do without showing them an understanding or that you want to understand their problem. Also, another layer to that is that it can make it seem like you're saying their problem is so easy, which is something we tend to do. One, because we don't have to feel what it's like to go through whatever it is they're going through. And also, oftentimes problems are easier from the outside rather than when you're in it. If you don't have a drinking problem and you see someone who does, you say, well, just stop drinking. If someone gets angry too often, you say, well, just don't get angry. So usually in that way, the solutions seem easy. But when you're actually experiencing something, we know that it's a very different story. And whatever it is that you're going through, there's others that obviously are like you going through that problem, but many people that don't. And to them, your problem seems very easy and simple. So it also is a part of showing compassion of recognizing that I want to understand your pain and see your pain, and I care about the pain that you are going through. So generally speaking, what we want to try to do is first focus on the empathy and understanding piece. Someone says, my partner said something that hurt my feelings. I'm having this issue at work. As we had in the previous caller, I'm going through this anxiety or I'm experiencing panic attacks. And first, we want to spend some time understanding. So your first inclination for many people is to let's fix this because you're hearing about a pain. Now, sometimes, yes, if there's a fire that's burning, you might have to start actually putting out the fire. So in some emergencies, yes, don't we can't wait, although even then you try to understand the problem to really fix it, but you don't have time to to sit and ask a lot of questions. You might have to start getting involved immediately. But most of the times, if you're with a friend or talking to someone, they're sharing something they're going through. And although they have feelings, that doesn't mean it's a crisis that requires immediate intervention. And especially if they don't want that, we want to listen to that. So hear them out first and recognize that before you go into solution mode, go into questioning mode, not questioning them, but trying to understand them by using questions of what's going on and showing some kind of empathy of I could see how that wouldn't feel good or I could see why you feel that way. But they try to understand by asking some gentle probing questions. The reason why I say gentle is because sometimes we can interrogate or make the person feel like we're already judging them. So they say, uh, you know, I'm having this issue with my boyfriend. Like, well, what happened? Like, why did you do this? And it could seem like we're blaming them for the problem or thinking it's very easy and it shouldn't even be a problem. So be aware of the way you ask your questions, but you first want to show, I want to understand because if someone says they have anxiety and you say, I know what that is, 
Well, anxiety can mean a million different things to a million different people. So just because you know what anxiety is doesn't mean you know what that person's experience of anxiety is. So really to help, even if you want to help, you need to ask some questions first. Now, what also happens with um, partners, but also especially parents, when they're in the fix-it mode is they hear about a problem, they quickly think, okay, well, how do we fix it? And who do we get to help fix it? So that can do two things. One is it can feel like, okay, you have a problem, just like let's send you out to get fixed, which generally doesn't feel good, but also takes away the part that it's not just that I have a problem and I want it fixed, it's that I want you to know me better. I want you to understand me so you know what I went through. And by knowing what I went through, you get closer to me. So one of the ways we actually get close to one another is by sharing our pains with each other. We tend not to share them with everyone, and that can make sense. We don't need to necessarily share everything with everyone. That's not really possible or would be something that would be beneficial. But with our loved ones, we do share the good, bad, and the ugly, the things that we're going through that don't feel good. And by doing that, we actually feel closer and feel like we we know each other better. You know what I'm going through. You know that struggle. We go to a family gathering or we go to a dinner party together and you know my pain and what's happening. And it might not be something I want you to share with others, but the fact that we have this in a way, it's like a secret or this knowing and knowledge of each other makes us feel closer. So be aware of that, that when you're loved one is sharing something with you try to make sure that your first focus is understanding before fixing and an understanding is also the empathy piece of things i want to show that i care i want to show that i want to know what you're going through first and of course it would make sense that you want to help them and oftentimes people think well should i not help them at all isn't it good to help of course it is. And we're not saying put that side away completely, but we're saying focus first on the understanding part, because first of all, that's going to make them feel better. And also it's going to show them you care and that you can actually help better once you know the problem. Oh, you have, let's say anxiety and you've tried this and this. Okay. So I shouldn't suggest those things. Let's see what other options we have or, oh, your anxiety affects you in these ways then, you know, maybe this makes more sense or maybe we can talk to this person or I did actually experience that once. Now I can share my story and you'll probably feel like because I get you better and I've given you that space, you'll probably be more open to hearing my advice. You've probably gotten advice from someone that you feel like doesn't get you or get your problem. And most of the time it goes in one year out the other. It could even possibly be good advice, but because you feel like they don't get you or they haven't put the effort to understand you, you don't really trust them or trust their advice or feel like they're coming from a good place of really caring about you and what you're going through. So be mindful of this very important aspect of our relationships that because we don't like to see our loved ones suffering, very often the first thing we do or the first place we go to is trying to take away their pain. It makes sense. You care about someone, they're hurting, you want to take it away. But we have to be aware that sometimes what they want is actually understanding more than anything. But even if they want your help, they probably want you to spend some time showing them you want to understand them first, empathize with them, know what's going on, and then you can get involved together with them. You're not there to just fix their problem, but you want to help them figure out what's happening. So I really appreciate that mother and son sharing their sides of things, what's going on. There's always going to be generational differences in how we see things, cultural differences at times that can come up. 
But if we can have an open conversation and really show that our focus is on understanding, that we don't want to prove ourselves right as much as we can really focus on trying to understand one another, uh, you know, we can have more of a chance for things to go better and to get to a better solution. So appreciate them calling and enjoy talking to them and wishing them the best. And also to anyone out there, I hope you will take that time to try to understand your loved one's problems before you jump to the solutions. All right, that brings us to the end of today's show. A big thank you to Farhuda here in the studio. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Dalakwi. Have a wonderful day. Music.